Hello and welcome to another episode of the Leaders Sport Business Podcast, the podcast about leaders in sport from Leaders in Sport. My name is James Emmett, I'm the Editorial Director at Leaders and with me as ever is my great good colleague, the Content Director here at Leaders, David Cushman. David, how are you over there? Yes, I'm over here and I'm doing okay, thank you David, James. we've been, um, I hate to say it, but dressing similarly over the last few weeks. Decade. <laughs> Um, you've got a sort of safari outfit on today. Is there any reason for that? Yeah, just exploring the industry, exploring continuing to uh, the, yes. you know navigate the uh, the, yeah. the choppy terrain. Does that make sense? No, no, but the I get uneven it. terrain, blending in. Yes, mm, yeah, 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 very good. Um, how are you? You? David? you? Uh, I'm also I'm wearing a sort of uh, um, cardigan. Just, yes, yes, uh, and various shades of browns. To be honest, um, it's a good look. Thank you. Uh, what's up? What's up? Um, what's up? I'm okay. I'm okay. Good. Having, a, right. having a, you know, a couple of, couple of minor frustrations. Nice. Have a quick uh, mental health check-in. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, a couple of minor frustrations, internal frustrations, but we shan't get into that on the uh, on the podcast. I'm much more interested in talking to you yeah. about a very exciting few days that you have got coming up. Uh, over in China. Well, yes, I'm about to go over to. I'm take, getting a flight tomorrow, mm. uh, probably today, as you're listening to this, listeners, uh, out to Hong Kong to go to Macau, um, the Vegas of the East, for um, the GBA um, Sport Business uh, International Sport Business Summit. Um, this is an event that we've been working on. Uh, we're helping to program. Um, I've been working on it for a little while. Um, our guest on the podcast today is Dee Kundra, um, who's the Managing Director for the Americas for FC Bayern. Earlier today, I was talking to her colleague out in Asia. Um, so Dee runs Bayern's New York office. I was speaking to Matthias, um, who runs Bayern's Shanghai office. Um, and uh, it's interesting, I mean, we have spoken to Dee. Um the level of excitement in the market, I would say, in the US around football, like football, absolutely the US is becoming the epicenter of the global football world. But China is at the beginning of a new wave and the, and the level of excitement from the international people in and around the market about what China could become is palpable and actually, you know, very exciting to be a part of. So we're gathering the great and the good from um, international sport. Plenty and and you really are, because that sounds a bit like a marketing line, but you actually are. Hmm? The, the lineup is yes. genuinely uh, stone-cold incredible. Superb. Um, Dwayne Wade, he's going to be there. Yao Ming, Li Ning, Joe Tsai, um, and Sophie Vumar from the IOC, um, Catherine Carlson from the Brooklyn Nets, Nets uh, Jeremy Lurliger from the NBL, uh, Per Norbert from the CMO of the Bundesliga, um, and plenty of Chinese entities besides. It's going to be action-packed. I'm lo- I'm, I might record some sort of diary for you, David, for next week's um, episode. That'd there's be fabulous. It's going to be a basketball game um, within the bowels of uh, the hotel that this is taking place. And Joe Tsai um, is captaining one of the teams. The real all-star game. I think it could be. You know. Have you ever been to a special administrative region before? Is yes. Well, I've been to Hong Kong before. Does that is that a, a, the same designation? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Perhaps we shouldn't get into that. Um, but uh, as a bit of backstory here, the the China and sports story yeah. has been um, 
quite tumultuous over the last few years. There was obviously this huge strategic focus on China and particularly football, which was government driven for a number of years. And we saw that manifest itself in various ways, didn't we? Chinese Super League went through a real phase of explosive growth and big name signings and big investment in teams. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was all sorts of rumours about China bidding for the World Cup. There was a lot of investment from Chinese organisations and individuals in European football clubs. And then that all went away and the government backing and focus seemed to disappear. Covid happened as well, which obviously pretty much shut down the world, but in particular China. And for a long time, China wasn't open for business. That does seem to be changing, as you say, and and the appetite we've seen in terms of international interest in the event um, that you're heading out to is, is probably a marker of that. What are you expecting to see or what do you think... Uh, you're likely to see that's going to give you encouragement as you're on the ground there over the next sort of few days that that China is properly back open for business for sports industry business um I think there are three major things to look out for when it comes to Chinese sport and the direction that it's trending there's three major buckets I think obviously there's plenty more but there are three major focal points when it comes to the development of sport there is football and China's relationship with football there's basketball China's relationship with basketball uh, and then there's um, the Olympics and multi-sport events in general like all three of those things are very big um, and growing in China and you mentioned the kind of football relationships the the boom and then bust of Chinese football we are at the beginning of a new cycle in terms of the development of Chinese football and what I mean by that is political will at the top there have been you know um, pronouncements from key political figures uh, about the importance of investing in football um, both at home and abroad again so this this is a new wave of pronouncements which will spark a new wave of investments uh, in terms of domestic Chinese football it's run by the CFA Chinese Football Association and the Chinese Super League there there's been corruption probably and difficulty at both of those organizations it's a case of out with the old all the people running those uh, organizations and in with the new those new people looking to make a mark on their organizations we are seeing for the first time real um, investment from international football entities into china rather than the other way around city football group now has a team in the chinese super league so that is a momentous, it's a milestone in terms of Chinese football. That is the first foreign-owned um, club in the Chinese Super League. Well, it's the second. Sheffield United had a, uh, a team in the Chinese Super League for a short stint. Um, but that's a huge deal. Um, and yeah, we're seeing renewed interest and emphasis in football in China. Basketball, similar-ish difficulties in that um uh basketball's huge in china but the cba isn't quite the same kind of glamorous product as the nba is there have been difficult political tensions with um uh, various uh comments from nba figures daryl Morey in particular which kind of precipitated a bit of a crisis of confidence among cba and china nba um, officials that's coming back as well joe sai being the owner of the brooklyn nets really helps there um there are chinese players in the league there's a huge history of you know going to china um 
there's new money coming from this region that we're going to the Greater Bay Area. They're trying to bring NBA games there. And then multi-sports events. Um, they had the Beijing Winter Olympics. Um, the Asian Games are huge. The China Games are huge. China has a real history and pedigree in multi-sports events. It's where their sports participation and performance money has gone traditionally it doesn't go into football it doesn't go into basketball it goes into the slightly more obscure multi-sport events which china has dominated at um in uh in the olympic world and these events are genuinely huge like whole cities of infrastructure gets built around hosting the china games for example or the university games or the chinese university games the china games is going to the greater bay area next year it's going to be a massive event it is um, catalyzing a lot of i've gone on for quite a, a while here. no it's really interesting the china the china games the china national games probably the biggest sporting event you've never heard of uh, in a similar fashion to the enormous saudi games mm. that happens uh, every year um that, that sparks huge interest locally but makes next to no impact uh on an international basis yeah. uh, it's going to be a, a really fun uh, few days fun trip uh yeah do do put together a bit of a diary uh for us bit okay. of you know sights and sounds how you feel how it all goes down mm. what i'm eating yeah, a little bit of that, a okay. little bit of colour, a little bit of colour. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we've got Dee Kundra uh, coming up shortly, uh, talking all things Bayern Munich and all things working out of their New York office. Uh, but first, shall we do some news? That's right, you turn this way, David, and I'll turn that way, and together we've got the full 360 covered. This is 180 Seconds of Sports Biz. The England and Wales Cricket Board has reportedly turned down an offer from Lalit Modi, the architect and visionary behind the Indian Premier League, to buy the 100 tournament. According to The Telegraph, Modi proposed a 10-year plan backed by private investment that would value the competition at around $1 billion, but convert it from a 100-ball tournament to a 2020 format, like the IPL. The ECB, however, reportedly dismissed the suggestion, concerned about the implications for its relationship with the Board of Control for Cricket in India, the BCCI. Modi was banned for life by the BCCI in 2013 for serious misconduct and indiscipline, charges relating to the bidding for new team franchises. Global beauty brand Charlotte Tilbury has signed its first global sports sponsorship and will be an official partner of F1 Academy in 2024. The brand plans to use its global platform to showcase drivers in F1's female-only junior series, which will race at seven F1 events this year, starting in Jeddah next month. All F1 teams will have one academy driver competing in the series this year. The BBC has begun broadcasting live netball Super League and Rugby League Super League games as part of reworked media rights deals. Both properties have carved out free-to-air components, with the bulk of the live rights remaining on Sky Sports in the UK. But free-to-air coverage of the FA Cup in the UK looks set to be significantly diminished from the 2025-26 season. Pay broadcaster TNT Sports has signed a four-year deal for the rights, and although its coverage will include free-to-air live games, including the final, the current free-to-air model, with the BBC and ITV sharing the rights will come to an end. In the Women's Super League, Arsenal once again broke the league's attendance record at the weekend with 60,170 at the Emirates for the club's win over Manchester United. Over the Atlantic, another women's hockey record crowd in the Professional Women's Hockey League's first season, 
1985 inside Scotiabank Arena in Toronto. It's another milestone in a successful first season for the six-team PWHL, the brainchild of Los Angeles Dodgers owner Mark Walter and tennis legend Billie Jean King. In the week, OpenAI chief Sam Altman provided a preview of its new text-to-video AI model, Sora. The NBA used its Tech Summit, part of All-Star Weekend, to offer its annual glimpse into the future of fan engagement. Commissioner Adam Silver demonstrated NBAI, a new generative AI chatbot and voice assistant the NBA is developing, allowing users to change the live stream. Reddit co-founder Alexis Ahanian has joined forces with Wheelhouse founder Brent Montgomery to launch Mantle, a content and discussion platform dedicated to sports collectibles. Patrick Keane, formerly CEO at the Action Network, is on board as an advisor. And that was 180 Seconds of Sports Bits. Yes, that was 180 Seconds of Sports Biz. Thank you very much, David. And shall we introduce our guest for today's episode? Let's do that. Well, David, I'm going to do it. Go because on. I'd like to, I mean, we're looking at her on a video screen here. So I'd like, David, I'd like to introduce you to uh, to Dee Kundra. She's the Managing Director for the Americas at FC Bayern. Dee, how are you doing? Hey guys, doing really well, thank you. Really great. It's bright and sunny here in New York, so can't complain. Good. Um, Dee, forgive me for um, uh, being presumptuous perhaps, but you sound um, neither Bavarian nor um, nor like a New Yorker. No. Um, where are you from and how have you ended up there? I was born and raised in London, actually. Grew up there um, and only moved over to the States eight years ago. Um, my journey and my career kind of took me on a great path. I went from London via Liverpool and then came to New York and it's been um, quite the ride. And everyone says, oh, but you haven't lost your accent. Absolutely not. Um, I think um, being here in the States, it really helps when you have an accent. I think people are intrigued by it. So it helps me spread the word of Bayern Munich. Mm. I find there's something with British people in the US in particular. Um, you almost get a stronger um, British accent when you're you, you sort of play it up. I'm not talking about you in particular, Dee, uh, but one. You're talking about yourself. I may be talking about myself. It's it's easy to um, to play it up a bit for effect. Um, but good to see you flying the flag out there. Um, tell us tell us about the um, the FC Bayern office then. Um, is it a large operation out there in New York? Yeah, I, I think rather than large, I think um, it's important to know that we've actually been here. It will be 10 years this summer that we've been here. And that's a really long time. You know, the club had really great foresight in the sense in 2014. Um, it was a case of we know that this market has huge potential. So, you know what, we're going to set up an office and the club knew that there weren't going to be returns in the first year, two years, three years, even four years. You know, it was a really a long-term play. The aim was always to build up to the World Cup that was coming in 2026. So the office was set up, unlike any other office, um, any other European team, we were the first. And we set up as a mar pure marketing office at first. And it was about how are we going to grow our reach? How are we going to create a bigger fan base? How are we going to form mutually beneficial partnerships and how are we going to help grow the sport of soccer in North America in particular? When we first opened the office as well, it was a case of we know we want to service the whole of the Americas. So where are we going to start? Latin America is, is huge. 
you know, so Mexico and Brazil were the focus markets there as well. Gotcha. Um, Dee, we will come back to specific um, FC Bayern uh, business, although we probably won't dwell on results too much. Uh, but we'll come back to... In a tough week. Yes, so I see. Yeah, we were due to speak um, last week, actually, and um, it would have been slightly... That was a tough week as well, actually, last week. It's been a tough fortnight. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's probably the end of the chat about uh, FC Bayern results, but we'll come back to Bayern business um, shortly. But as is tradition uh, on this podcast, we're going to um, delve into one or two of these stories that we've just run through in our 180 Seconds of Sports Biz um, section. Uh, some interesting bits and pieces going on this week. David, anything anything tickling your fancy? Well, I think it is always a noteworthy occasion in the sports business calendar, particularly in the States, NBA All-Star Weekend. And that week or that game uh, preceded by uh, what has become a bit of a fixture, the NBA's annual tech summit. And within that, what has also become a bit of a fixture is Adam Silver on stage doing something fun and technologically advanced and at the cutting edge. And this uh, year, it was the launch of NBAI, uh, which is still very much in beta mode, but is the NBA's um, uh, chatbot and its uh, sort of uh, attempt to use generative AI uh, as an enhancement to uh, the fan experience and fan engagement and allow fans to effectively choose uh, how to watch Uh, with almost limitless possibility, uh, an NBA broadcast. Uh, This has become quite a thing, hasn't it? The Tech Summit. It's become a bit of a a meeting point and a bit of a melting pot of uh, ideas. And uh, it really plays well for the NBA in terms of its industry position as being right at the cutting edge. And it's always the organisation that people talk about if we ever ask anybody, you know, which organisation are you looking for? to for inspiration ideas or being ahead of the game NBA is always the answer and this is a bit of the reason why I think yeah it's kind of interesting as the um, sporting element of the all-star weekend has maybe lost a bit of its luster Um, the games are not competitive I'm not sure um, who's watching and why they're watching this sort of um, tangential element to the All-Star Weekend, this, comp- this this really big business conference, tech, the Tech Summit, um, has kind of gained in, uh, in reputation and heft. Um, the, it's not just the content that's impressive and kind of sets a benchmark, I think, in terms of how people talk about tech and sport for the next year. It's also the guest list that they have. They work really hard on bringing senior sports industry folk but also senior sport senior sort of media folk tech folk from around the world together is in indianapolis this year um uh, i've been talking to a few people about i didn't go this year we didn't go david um d did you go to uh to the all-star i did not go to all-star but i went to super bowl the weekend before aha uh-huh. a slightly different vibe to uh to the super bowl we'll hear all about that later um I've talked to a couple of people about NBA All-Star and about Tech Summit and mixed reports, actually. Um, on the one hand, um, a lot of positivity. Um, Peter Hutton actually was, uh, I think he did a LinkedIn post about it, actually, sort of saying, what a way to um, get the leadership of a large sports organization properly focused on what's coming next in tech and media. 
by putting on this kind of event, which is by, a te- by telling them they've got to present on it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It, it's not peripheral. It is central. It makes it a central focus for what the league is doing, which is really important organizationally, I think. Um, it's, it's clearly driven uh, in part by the league office and in part by the owners that the NBA has. The NBA team owners are a large number of them are kind of from these massive tech organizations or run these tech organizations. There's probably not another sports rights holder that could put on a tech summit and have the level of expertise um, and nous and seniority than the, the group of NBA owners. And someone was telling me... Um, that actually it can be a bit samey. Um, just if you go year after year, it's the same group of owners who are kind of hogging the airtime. Um, so it can be a little bit samey. But again, if you're actually listening to what they're saying, it's fascinating to hear their tone change and you know the, the actual detail of the content that they're talking about, particularly this move into AI. Um, someone very senior in the basketball world was telling me actually there's uh, uh, he's picking up um, an unexpected wariness about uh, AI, you know, despite the fact that they're presenting this new AI technology. Um, from who? From the league or from the... From these, from these big, uh, the big tech kind of... Not from the league. The league's obviously going all in on it. It was interesting. I know you should never judge anything by the way it's reacted to on Twitter slash X. But interestingly, the NBA's post with the clip of Adam Silver introducing this MBAI yeah. um, piece of kit. Mm-hmm. Um, the reaction, um, and in previous years, I think, Thumb, I think was, it well, was it very much a thumbs down, whereas in previous years, I think people have been genuinely wowed. I think last year it was the ability to put your own face, your own avatar yeah. into a live game broadcast and sort yeah. of play alongside LeBron James or whoever. Yeah. With this, with the sort of whole concept of AI, the sort of instant reaction, the comments underneath were much more negative mm-hmm. um, in general. Now, that might just be a, a reflection of the way mm-hmm. a certain platform is changing, but mm-hmm. uh, noteworthy well, nonetheless. Elon Musk, um, of course, not an NBA owner. Not yet, that, not be, yet. That would be different if he was. Um, I was thinking about this, this concept of... Um, major sports rights holders um, putting on their own kind of in-house business events and really setting their stall out to be associated with whatever that is, an MBA tech summit, MBA. It's the most tech thinking kind of um, league. It really makes sense. And I was thinking about what some other ones could be. Uh, the Premier League, maybe they could do a, um, a finance conference, yeah. uh, perhaps or, or sort of a UN summit, really, with the, the amount of nation states now involved in, in the Premier League. Um, the Bundesliga, D, that would be quite a good automotive summit, wouldn't it? The number of kind of big automotive corporations involved. It would be a great automotive summit. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. And while we haven't thought about it league-wise, you know, we've always toyed with the idea, you know, um, having these events, having these corporate events, um, the Super Bowl, the NBA All-Star Weekends, it really is about, B2B networking, it's really kind of connecting with people. And we, we've toyed with the idea, do we have a, a, do we set up a Bayern Munich conference? You know, do we try and, you know, talk about the things that have made this club, you know, over 124 years, what it is, we're financially responsible, you know, the stability that we represent there, you know, how we operate our business. Um, you know, it's interesting. And it's, you know, when you're in a region as large as this one, 
you have to be able to segment and target different audiences because it's not a one size fits all. So we have to be really creative and thinking about how we're going to reach different people and what stories about FC Bayern are we going to tell. Yeah, uh, actually, the Bundesliga is quite forward thinking, isn't it? As a as a league, there's um, DFL Digital still. Um, uh, there's a big focus on innovation across the league. I think if any football league was going to take a leaf out of American sports and try to create a kind of, um, you know, a media entity outside of the league, like a um, an All Star Weekend or, or or something like that, I think the Bundesliga would probably be quite high up in um, in potentially doing that. Uh, I'd love to see a a kind of um, you know German players versus international players uh, Bundesliga All Star. That could be quite fun. Um, perhaps you could host it in New York, D. Who knows? Who um, knows, David? I cut you off. You were going to say something. No, I was just going to say, if you've got any more, I like quite like this list of, uh, you know, somewhat hypothetical uh, rights holder based in-house business yeah. conferences. I've, as, as it's, it's quite a niche subject, but I, I think, I'm sure you know you've got what? more ideas. I, I, I've been thinking about this and the more I think about it, I think there's something in gathering, if you're a rights holder, gathering together owners and uh, partners essentially a partner summit you, there are some amazing owners and partners at some of these places um and as d says appealing to a kind of broad stakeholder base mm. is increasingly important well, but formula e slash extreme yeah i think the ownership base that they are putting together there mainly extreme with this sort of mix of um kind of corporate titans celebrities uh, pretty much anyone who's got a bit of social media clout and an interest in sustainability, I mean, they could put together a um, you know a full blown entertainment festival. Mm. I would say with uh, with what they've got, like Coachella. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Mm. maybe like Coachella, D yeah. D, how did you mentioned you were in Vegas for the uh, Super Bowl? How did you find uh, that experience uh, in terms of the the build up? Because you because you obviously have you know, huge media interest. There's the parties, there's the hospitality, there's the partner activation. The owners are all in town, of course. There's lots of there's lots of business behind the scenes, of course, being done, but there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, explicit business conferences and business showcases happening through the week. What, what was your experience? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely packed. You know, everything you said, David, in terms of from the media, right the way to owner events, etc., but it's really well done. You know, in the day you could end up going to five or six different events and it kind of ranges from, you know, in the morning, um, Tom Brady um, was opening a hall of excellence at the Fountain Blue Hotel. And, you know, we went to that opening, met some fantastic people. Um, and then Brand Innovators always has a great um, summit that they hold around sport, uh, around the Super Bowl. And they had lots of fantastic speakers who are all in town for the event. So you had these great conversations, really interesting. Um, and then you kind of get to the the dinners or the NFL events that you have as well, because they do a lot of work around hosting their different um, stakeholders also. NFN, NFL International is a huge um, topic for them at the moment. So there was an international reception, kind of bringing together all those folks, everything from kind of, the, the top brass at um, NFL to, you know, people who are interested in helping them grow internationally. So it's such a busy, busy week, so varied, but you walk away with so many contacts 
from brands within the business um, media. It's excellent. You consider that to be um, <clears throat> maybe what do you build this at uh, as at home, D? Because I always find if I'm trying to get uh, um, the okay for my other half to go to some sports events and I try to bill it as work, yeah. um, she sort of scoffs slightly. But is it, is it sort of business or leisure for you? Oh, it's business the it's whole business. time. That's yeah. right. It's a good answer. 100%. It's a good answer. I think we're all agreeing. One hundred percent business, and it's so much so. It's not it's fun. So... It's not. It's not any fun either, is no, it? No, I was having this conversation with my colleague earlier today, and he was just saying that that his wife had said to him, "Oh, you've just been away for work. You can have the kids." And it's like, but I'm exhausted. And it is. It's business, and it's so much so that I didn't actually stay for the game for Super Bowl either. I very rarely do. I do everything up front and then I leave the morning of the game because the airport after the game, the day after, is horrible. So I prefer to get out, get back in time. I watched the game on TV. It was fantastic. Um, that's the um, that's the Bernie Eccleston Formula One strategy, that. Do all the business and don't stay for the race. Um, yeah, classic. Um, should we move on to uh, one of these other stories? Um, that One that's piqued my interest uh, is the collectibles one, David. Go on then. So this is a new collectibles platform being mm -hmm. uh, launched by um, Alexis Ahanian, yeah. uh, the Reddit co-founder, and it's going to be called uh, Mantle. It's launched in beta form already. Yeah. And uh, tapping into the highly lucrative and ever-growing collectibles industry. Yeah. Uh, which for some is a profession and yep. for others is a mere passion. Um, go on, what's piqued your interest well, here? Well, it's got Patrick Keane on board, mm -hmm. um, the former chief executive of Action Networks. Patrick Keane, um, I don't know what his current relationship status is with Darren Ravel, but certainly previously um, Best Bud slash Business Associates. And Darren Ravel, uh, I would say one of the, the most notable um, collectors in the um, sports and media um, industry, certainly someone who puts out a lot of content about collectibles. This was interesting to me for a couple of reasons. One, Donald Trump. Two, collectibles themselves. Take me back to number one. <laughs> well, the, this news comes at the same time as um, Donald, um, do you remember the president, Donald J. Trump? Uh, I think I think so. So he's trying to become the president again, David. Right. So forgive me, Dee, we're just going to do a quick primer on US politics. <laughs> no, um, no, go ahead. I'm looking forward to hearing this. Okay. So, this, so there's this guy, Donald J. Trump. Yes. And he used to be the president. Now he's running to be the president again. Oh, right. He's in a spot of bother with the no. law. And these things keep happening to him. And he's got a big uh, bill, basically, a legal bill that he has to pay. Um, and uh, that's happened. And very quickly after that, he has released a limited edition line of sneakers. Um, and they are called the um, Never Surrender High Tops. Of course they are. Um, gold, uh, they're gold, gold plated, gold trainer, probably, yeah. yeah, gold trainers with a, a big T on the side, and of course, the American flag up the top, you know, the, the stars and stripes on your ankle. Um, sold out in no time at all, retailing at $399. I think it's fair to say, um, that uh, DJ Trump's always been a grifter, um, he's a man who likes to, and some would say, knows how to sell, and um. He's selling these sneakers, um, but they, they are becoming, the reason I'm linking this to collectibles, 
they are becoming instant collector's items because of the limited edition nature. And actually, um, regardless of what you think about Trump, uh, there is there's clearly big market value in these. Um, Darren Ravel has been... Um, uh, tweeting about them, um, saying going in at $399 for this limited edition range is actually massively underpricing them for the market that's available to them. I think there are, um, I can't remember, how, it's in the hundreds, the, num the number that have uh, shown up on eBay, but they're um, changing hands for 3000 something like $3,500, um, which is insane, right? It's, it's absolutely huge. And... Um, maybe not a note on collectibles, but I do think there's something about Trump selling all sorts of guff, but clearly, you know, making an impact with his base. And obviously he's got a high value item here that he's able to generate um, money with. Whatever you think about Donald Trump, he has got the knack of values-based marketing. Um, and they're not my values, um, and actually they're not his values, but the, <laughs> the values that he is ascribing to these sneakers, the never surrender um, high tops, are it, it, clearly they're values that are resonating with lots of people and they're flooding flooding the market. It'd be interesting, be interesting to know if they're actually being valued by professional collectors who spire a, a profit. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Sounds like a lot of them are immediately making their way to eBay, as you say. Well, I mean, there's this part, this collectibles thing. That there is this trend that we're in at the moment for kind of collaborations, fashion capsules, limited edition releases. You know, the where the sellout is the um, the marker of success. If they don't sell out, um, you haven't got a collector's item on your hand, and that is a failure. Um, of kind of product design and marketing and there are so many examples of this now I do think this idea that there are collectibles in almost every kind of field consumer field that you might be in is one that is gathering a bit of steam but I but again I don't know whether this Alexis Ahenian, um thing is going to work because I think for a market to exist in collectibles uh, there have there has to be plenty of storytelling around whatever it is it has to these are things that inherently don't have a lot of value like collector's items then it's not like uh, you know a car has a utility and therefore it has a value a collector's item has a story behind it and other people that want to buy that story well i think this is what this platform is designed to spur on the discussion the conversation around it and whether people want or need a specialist place to go and discuss those things is you know, we will find out. Um, but yeah, one to keep an eye on. Dee, did you buy the Never Surrender um, high tops? I did not. And um, I definitely will not either. I'm okay. Afraid. They're sold out now anyway, I'm afraid. But you can pick them up for $3,500 <laughs> on eBay. I think, um, I think I'll give that one a miss, James. Okay. Yeah. Um, Dee, let's talk about um, another a couple of numbers that we uh, mentioned in our news roundup. Those numbers being 60,170, which was the new record attendance in the Women's Super League over here in the UK at the weekend. Another record at uh, the Emirates Stadium for Arsenal's match against Manchester United. And then 19,285, which was the attendance uh, for the... Uh, latest in what is seeming to be a very successful first season of the Professional Women's Hockey League, uh, which is the Billie Jean King part-owned um, 
ice hockey competition. Uh, it's the first season. That was a a record crowd for women's hockey anywhere in the world. Um, so big numbers and more records, and uh, you know further proof as if as if we needed it of the the continuing development. Uh, and this wave of uh, momentum around uh, women's sport in general. And Dee was really interested in your in your view on this um, because Bayern Munich have a women's team and you're sitting there in uh, New York looking after the Americas region. How much of the women's team is is sort of on your radar and, and are you thinking about as you as you plot the uh, you know, the next moves forward in the next few years? Yeah, I mean, look, our women's team is a huge asset for us. You know, in this office um, in the Americas, we look at our assets, right? What do we have? We know they're 5,000 plus miles away, but what assets do we have? And we've got our men's first team, we've got our women's first football team, and then we've got our basketball team. We also have a chess and handball team, but we don't um, market them internationally. So those are our three main assets. So how are we using them? Basketball's slightly harder in North America because it's hard to get cut through when you have such a huge and progressive league as the NBA, as we just discussed. Um, so that gives us our men's and women's football team. And our women's team, we've done a lot more with them. We're bringing them out to this region a lot more. 2021, we played a tournament in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, in January 2023, we were in Monterey in Mexico, where we played against Tigres women's team in front of an audience of 35,000 people. Um, so it was really incredible. And we can see before us, you know, the real appetite there is. It's a completely different audience to men's soccer, right? It's more family led. You know, um, they are more engaged. They're buying into a lot of the um, the apparel aspects as well. So we're seeing that and we want to get behind it further. And it was really interesting. So one of these conferences I went to um, at Super Bowl, the Brand Innovators um, one, they had a panel and it was about... Um, women's sports and they had Sue Bird, the former um, WNBA player and she had just mentioned she was like look at what we've achieved in terms of increasing numbers you know the number of uh, merchandise sales etc and she goes and we've done that all without real investment and support imagine if all of that started to come in now where we could be and I just thought it was a really interesting thing for her to say because it's true if we can get behind it a lot more it's just the numbers are just incredible and growing and the media reach is really really impressive are you um, out there in the us obviously there is a, a groundswell i mean as is happening over here in the uk and elsewhere but i think it's particularly acute in the us the momentum behind women's sport and women's football in particular with um, investment into nwsl both from a media rights from a sponsorship and from an ownership point of view it's notable and right and there's more and more coverage of it are you finding having having worked for Bayern out there for um for a good number of years now that there is more emphasis and more opportunity um and more you know more receptiveness for the women's side of what Bayern has to offer than, yes. than there was before Yes, definitely. And that's because of players like the NWSL. I remember when I moved out here eight years ago and um, people would say, oh, but women's soccer is huge there. That's got to be the angle moving forward. 
And it was huge, but it was huge at the national level. You know, the US women's national team was so strong. Um, but at the club level, the investment just wasn't the same. You know, the facilities weren't up to par. Um, not all of them, I'm just saying some of them weren't up to par. But now the NWSL are really pushing. They've got in some great investors, great names, the money that they're getting through. They're really turning it around. And with them, I think that we will really continue to try and push. Uh, we're obviously building relationships with them. We'll see what happens in the future. But you just have to look at some of their teams. Um, what Julie's done at Angel City FC, incredible, great people to talk to. So really a lot of, lot to be done there. Tell us a little bit, Dee, about the, a little bit more about the America's office and the setup that you've got. How many people have you got there? What kind of reporting lines do you have into um, HQ in Munich? Presumably you're waking up every morning to lots of emails from Europe. How, how does it work in practice when you're running a regional office? Yeah, it's um, so look, we, we, I mentioned the distance before, you know, it's um, it's not great to have that distance. But I think what we have with headquarters, especially and it's built over years, right? It's a great relationship and a great trust and a great um, ability to, if we need something, we can get in touch. Responses are really quick. You know, we have that great relationship with headquarters. That's that's wonderful. I also think it says something that we were the first international office in um, 2014. And then um, 2018, um, we opened our Shanghai office. And then just a couple of years ago, we also opened our Bangkok office as well. So we have three international offices. So at the club, it is a very international mindset. We know that in order to grow our brand, we need these um, offices and these hubs where we can do that from. In terms of, and each office is set up differently as well, by the way. Um, but here specifically in the Mer- Americas, think of it as, we think of it as we have three pillars. The first is the corporate partnership side of the business. And that ranges from the tra- uh, traditional partnerships um but it also is about brand alliances so um you know going way back to 2014 2015 we started working with the nfl on content collaborations and then getting their players over to munich go to the training session go to a game get them involved you know and the idea always back then was the first regular season game in germany to be held at the Allianz arena that was always the target and after years of building up in 2022, November, we were able to do that. The first regular season game in Germany was at the Allianz Arena, and it was incredible. They're coming back again this year to the Allianz Arena, hopefully in November, where they'll play another one. And that just kind of shows the importance of these brand alliances to really work together um, so that they can reach our audience and we can help them in Germany, but also we can cross over here in the US and reach a whole different audience. And that brings me on to the marketing and media pillar of our business. You know, our fans are incredibly important to us. So we run a kind of 24-7 local fan services um, agency, if you like. We're always available. But on the other hand, for us, it's always important to reach new eyeballs. How are we bringing people into the sport of soccer? How are we then taking them through to become Bayern fans and taking them through our fan funnel? So we're really big on doing different things, reaching new audiences, um, rather than kind of really focusing on 
what's the next watch party for our current fans. Um, growing our social media reach, also incredibly important, and that's where the content collaborations come in. And then our third pillar, I would say, is our grassroots initiative. Um, during COVID, it all went away. Um, but now we've brought it back in a very thoughtful way. Every club will tell you that, you know, we want to give young players a pathway to our professional football. It's really hard to play for FC Bayern's first team, right? So we're trying to be realistic. How can we create um, a, a pathway for young players to go on to play first team football in other countries, other leagues, other clubs. Um, so we have, you know, our basic ID camps, you know, and then they could go on to play for Youth Cup. From there, they could go on to play for World Squad. Then they could go on to Global Academy. And we've already had three or four great success stories where players have gone on to first team football elsewhere. So those are our main pillars and the main operations of business here in the Americas. Mm -hmm. Where does... Um actually bringing the team bringing the talent um to market where does that fit in i mean how critical to a number you know you ran through the different pillars there i presume having buy-in talent in market is helpful to every single one of those pillars how critical is it for you to have the team come over as much as possible and how does it all work in terms of putting together an actual physical tour yeah so it's incredibly important that the team is here. You know, not everyone can get to Munich. Not everyone can go that far. So it's really important that we play on home soil for these fans, bringing the club closer to them. You know, if it was up to me, I would want the team to be here every summer. Um, the reality is, is as an international brand, you know, we have to go to Asia. We have to go to Southeast Asia. We have to visit those other markets, which are really important to us, where we have huge fan bases. So we try and alternate where possible. So, you know, setting up these tours is, I would say, it's three months of solid work that takes us away from, you know, what we would do day to day throughout the rest of the year, because it really is, how do we make it? FC Bayern's Super Bowl? How do we make it FC Bayern's NBA, you know, all-star weekend? Because we always do something community related. We always do something B2B related. Uh, we always try and do something that fits into the local culture of that state that we're visiting or, you know, the country if we're going to Latin America. So we really try and figure out a whole plan of what activations are we doing to target the different markets that we need to. Uh, Bayern's last tour was to the US was 2022, is that right? That's correct, yes. We played in Washington, D.C., and then we played in uh, Green Bay. Um, what can you tell us about this summer? And do you know more than you're about to say? Um, we're not coming back to the US unless, um, unless um, something amazing happens. Um, but... I think one of the times we know we're definitely coming back to the US is the 2025 FIFA Club World Cup. Um, that's going to be very exciting to be here. Um, obviously, none of the host cities are set for that yet or, or anything. Else. So uh, we're waiting to hear. It's going to be an interesting one for us, right? Because fans always say, no, media always asks me, they say, you know, what do fans want? Do they, would they prefer to see a more competitive game here or are they happy with the, the pre-season games? And I was like, well, it really depends on what they want because with the competitive games, you're not going to get the same access 
you're not going to get the meet and greets at Adidas or the, you know, the the meet a player with um, Audi. You won't get that around a competitive game, but you do get those around pre-season tours. So really, it depends on, you know, how do we want to fulfil, you know, what our fans want. Is that more difficult to uh, be planning for, not least given that effectively that's an, a, a completely new tournament format um, we'll we see in 2025? It is going to be much more difficult to plan for because, you know, there's certain restrictions. It's not our event. It's not our a tournament. So there are going to be heavy restrictions on it. So we're in the process of just trying to find out what is possible around it and then figure out as a club how we want to how we want to move forward in terms of the planning one of the things we talked about last week d um when we were going to have you on was um the inter miami um preseason tour that they are still on i think um and, and they can't still be on it yeah it's wow yeah it's going on for about 400 days yeah um but it had um, last week. There was some controversy around it in that they played in Hong Kong and Messi didn't play. Right. Um, and um, fans were upset. Apparently, it was a really visceral atmosphere out in yeah. Hong Kong. Um, yeah, I heard. And there has been reaction from kind of political elements in China. Argentina games have been cancelled off the back of it. It seems like the situation, which was that Messi was injured and didn't play wasn't handled optimally i think that's fair when you are putting together pre-season tours um and maybe there are there are you know in any team there are there are at least there's at least one star that people really want to see how do you mitigate against that kind of thing people feeling like they've paid for something and you know they're being ripped off basically and they're not being they're they're not being um people aren't being honest with them yeah and it's, you know, you have to look at it slightly differently as well. You know, we've got 124 years of experience and into Miami, you know, is a fairly new organization. So, um, you know, for us, it's years of knowing kind of what fans want. It's about letting people know when they're injured and, you know, managing it and the communication through press conferences, etc. So I think, um, you know, it's a tough spot that they're in. But really, I think it's the experiences that the clubs have and we kind of know how to um navigate it i would say but you know these things happen unfortunately players do get injured on tour but it comes down to the communication and how you're um communicating with fans mm-hmm. just going back to the the business and logistics of touring d and you obviously held that uh tour in in 2022 we will have a lot of people listening who work at football clubs who are busy thinking about summer tours to all parts of the world, all sorts of interesting markets and, and new experiences. How did you measure that the impact of that tour in 2022? What were some of the metrics that you were looking at and I suppose judged on as to whether that was put down as a success or a failure? Yeah, um, the first and obvious metric is how busy is the stadium? And thankfully, you know, both were sold out and Green Bay was 80,000 attendees. You know, it's one of the biggest, one of the the big um, NFL stadiums. So that was successful. And everyone wants to play in a full, everyone wants to play in a full stadium, right? So the atmosphere is there. So that was great. Um, But there's, there's other elements, right? It's the social media engagement, the reach. 
how many how much more data did we collect how many more people are, can we now get into to further take them through that fan funnel as i mentioned how do we connect with them moving forward but again it's also you know what brands were we able to host what new conversations in terms of corporate sponsorships were we allowed to start engaging and bring them into the buying world as well so that's also a level of engagement but also networking you know it's really important and I think we forget it sometimes being in European football because everyone knows each other you know the network is the same as it's been and very rarely changes over the years but here everything is based on relationships and how are you connecting and meeting other people in different industries from different walks and how are you helping each other and I think that's one thing that we really pride ourselves on here we've built a great network over the years uh, we've created created many friends of FC Bayern Munich. And I think the main reason is because, you know, we know we are a hugely successful club. We've got great history. But when we came to the Americas, it was a very humble approach. We didn't kind of say, we're Bayern Munich, you're going to kind of listen to us and this is how we're going to do it. It's a, it was a very steep learning curve. Everything from the culture in terms of how sports is run, young players go on to college and then they play professionally after that it doesn't work that way in Europe but we had to understand that it's different here and a lot of times people are putting their kids into you know these soccer programs not in the hope that they become professional footballers but that they get scholarships for college and their education is paid for so it was a lot of learning on our part in terms of how does the culture work here what are they looking for how can we as Bayern Munich share our coaching philosophy, our business acumen, how can we be a, a positive part in moving this sport forward here? Mm -hmm. um, just a couple of minutes left, Dee, and uh, I just want to pick up on um, uh, the, maybe whether there's any sort of competitive uh, rivalry between um, you guys in the US office and the other two international outposts for Bayern. <laughs> um, obviously, the last US tour was in 2022. I think there was an Asian tour last year. There were rumours around that maybe there's another Asian tour coming up this summer. Um, yeah, how much do, do you sort of have a, a, a kind of rivalry with um, Matthias <laughs> out in Shanghai with the new Bangkok office? Well, it's, it's funny you should say that. Some of our teammates will say, no, we're one team. I like to think of it as a healthy rivalry. You know, a bit of healthy competition doesn't hurt at all. So um, I think, um, look, we all are rooting for each other. We just want each office to be successful. And like I said, we're all set up very differently. What's, what's where really in China doesn't always work well here. And I think we learn from each other a lot as well. But I think one other point which is important to say when we talk about competition is actually here in the US you've got other offices here you've got Dortmund have an office and the Bundesliga are here the Premier League are here you know we all work together we all work together we all collaborate we even meet and have coffee and drink sometimes would you believe but again it's to get the to get football to a certain level here and when we're there when we're competing with the NBA um, you know, we can all break off and not talk to each other again like we do in Europe. But until then, we uh, we have to work together. Good stuff. Uh, Dee, we really appreciate you uh, stopping by to join us uh, this morning, your time in uh, New York. Uh, thank you ever so much. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a pleasure. <laughs> 